Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a really good Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. We're being joined by Matt Pierpont. Matt is a former player of mine and also currently uh, a minor league pitcher. He is, as of just a week or so ago, is a free agent minor league pitcher, but has spent his whole career to this point pitching in the Rockies organization. Uh, I'll give you a, a background on Matt so you know a little bit more about who he is, where he's come from, things like that. He was drafted in 2013 in the 26th round by the Colorado Rockies out of Winthrop University, where he and I crossed paths. In his seven-year minor league career, he has appeared in 222 games, all in relief. He's thrown 331 career minor league innings. He's given up only 275 hits in that time. That's good for a 224 career batting average against. So 331 innings, 275 hits, only 100 walks and 345 career minor league strikeouts. He's got a 2.83 career minor league ERA. 2018 was a was a year that he probably one of his one of his best years if not if not his best year in the minor leagues. He was an organizational all-star in the Rockies organization that year. He was a mid-season and post-season all-star in the Eastern League, AA Eastern League. That year in 2018 he threw 60 innings, gave up only 44 hits. 71 strikeouts, a 1.95 ERA, a 1.08 whip, uh, converted 32 of 34 save, save opportunities that year, which is what led him to be the all-star that he was. In 2016, 18, and 19, he appeared in Major League Spring Training games. Uh, obviously, 2020, because of everything that happened, it was just a, a weird year for Matt. Um, and everybody really in minor league and major league baseball. But as I said at the beginning, he spent his whole career to this point in the Rockies organization, although he has elected free agency just a few weeks before this podcast is being recorded. So we'll see what happens for Matt in 2021. Uh, but Matt, I appreciate you being on the podcast today, man. I'm looking forward to the conversation with you. Uh, hey, Jeff, I appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's been a, you know, we've been in each other's lives for a long time and we try to, You've been one of the people that throughout my career has always, always kept in touch and, and followed me and um, came out to some games. So it's, it'll be nice to catch up. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, one of the cool things about where I live, I live in a town where there's a double-A team. And um, I, I, I love to catch up with former players as they're going through their minor league journey and coming through. Uh, Altoona, which is where I live, it's in the it's it's in the Eastern League. So anybody that plays in the Eastern League that comes through here, I try to meet up with them, take somebody out for breakfast or whatever it may be, just to catch up. And it, the first year that I lived in Altoona, I had like six players, six former players that were in the Eastern League, which is pretty cool. Matt was one of those guys, and he was actually uh, spent a couple years coming through Altoona. Um, and usually, Matt, I like to start by talking about something from someone's bio that stands out and for you whether this is a sore spot or not i'd love to talk about it um but you spent three years in double a with the rockies 2016 2017 2018 three years in a row where you um spent the whole season if i'm not mistaken in double a and obviously you and i met up a couple of those times and we had a chance to chat and just sort of talk and you've always been a guy that um uh, i think you're very even killed don't get too emotional about things but i know that there were some time there was some time there where you felt like you had pitched well enough to move up uh certainly 2018 that last year in double a when you were uh, a mid-season and post-season all-star and posted some really good numbers and um uh, were officially or unofficially named the closer of that team you know i know that there were probably times when you were tempted 
to feel frustration if not if you didn't just flat out feel that frustration can you just kind of talk a little bit for people listening to this uh, as you know most of them as is my case most of them have never been in that situation have never played minor league baseball um i'm sure there's a lot uh, a lot of mind games going on but what was it like for you to to spend three years in a row in double a when you, you put up better numbers every year you were there and clearly statistically um, looked like somebody who should have been called up but were not. What was that like for you, and how did you fight through that and stay positive enough to continue to stay focused and put up good numbers? Yeah, it was definitely, um, it was definitely frustrating. It was definitely difficult to to deal with that. You, you know, double A baseball is great baseball. It's competitive, and uh, you know, I, I love playing in Hartford and love playing in the Eastern League. But just like any other minor league level, you're hoping to. to play it once and perform well and show that you're ready to move on and, and then move on after that. But, and I think that a lot of people, especially from the outside, when they, when they look at someone's numbers or look at where they've been or what they've done, you know, it's, it's hard for them to kind of grasp everything that goes into those decisions that are being made and why people are here and why people are there. And, um, you know, it's frustrating when you're in it as a player to, to kind of deal with those things. But, it's one. It's been a. It's been a maturing process. It's been a growing process of just understanding, you know, both on and off the field to just concentrate on the things that that are in my control. Um, and one thing that's always been out of my control is where, um, what level I'm at, where where I'm playing. And you know, it, it doesn't just because I understand that doesn't mean it. It's any easier. It's still difficult, but. I, something that I pride myself on is, you know, every day that I go to work and I, um, you know, put on my uniform and it's time to go that, you know, anything else that I'm thinking about, whether it's career-wise or personal-wise or whatever else, anytime that I step on the mound that, you know, I'm giving 100% and my focus is on, you know, this one pitch at, at that point and, and not where I'm at or where I think I should be. And I think that, you know, my my ability to to do that is is what's what's kind of given me a little bit of success. But you know, it was hard. I, I got after I had a I had a, a tough first half in 2016. Whenever I was in um, Hartford, I guess I, I had a really good first month and then kind of struggled a little bit and kind of turned it on, turned it around, and, and figured some things out in the second half of 2016 and pitched really well and. You know, when you look at my numbers in 2016, then you, you look at him and you think, okay, he's done enough to kind of move on. And I felt the same way, but going into that offseason, I actually started having some, some elbow issues that weren't going away and went and got it checked out and just had to get, uh, you know, minor arthroscopic surgery to have some loose bodies removed in my elbow. Um, but I actually had that done February second of 2017 so i missed all of spring training um, i had to stay in extended spring training to, to pitch in games and get healthy and i just i kind of lost my opportunity to go into spring training and compete for a, for a job in triple a so I, I went back to to harford in 2017 and, and pitched the rest of the year there and actually had you know one of my one of my best years there. I, I pitched in every inning from one through nine at some point. I did long and middle and short relief. I kind of did everything and, um, you know, threw the ball really well. I had the opportunity to go play in the Dominican Republic after that offseason and went into spring training of uh, 2018 
thinking that I deserved to be in AAA. And when rosters were posted and I, I didn't make that cut, it was definitely a, um, you know, a gut punch and a, and a hard thing to grasp. But at that point, uh, Warren Schaefer had just taken a manager job in AA, who is uh, a Pittsburgh guy who I'd known from uh, a long time ago, him playing with my brother at some point growing up. And so I'd already always knew him and we had had a relationship ever since I'd been with the Rockies and, uh, you know, having him as my manager in, in double A in 2018, I kind of credit him with, with a lot of the success that I had because, you know, not only was he a great coach, but just a, a great friend to me and a, someone that I could rely on and I could go bend if I needed to get something off my chest or if I wanted to know what was going on or where I stood, he would, you know, speak to me like a man and, and tell me, um, what was going on and, and you know that doesn't doesn't necessarily make it any easier but it definitely helps to to just deal with those things so I had a lot of good people that just kind of helped me through that process when did you first uh, come up with the concept of just controlling things that are within your control you said that I don't I don't I'm probably misquoting you exactly but but basically um, just focusing on things that are within your control. That's something I think a lot of mature baseball coaches and players, they get to that point, but it's not overnight. And even people, sometimes the people say those words, but it's a lot, it's one of those things easier said than done. When did that become something that you sort of adopted as like, this is going to be my mentality and this is how I'm going to get through this? Um, I, so the very first time I, I kind of heard of that process, my brother gave me a book my freshman year of college called Mind Gym. Um, I don't know if you've read that book. I think it's by Gary Mack. Um, great book. Uh, but he gave it to me my freshman year of college whenever I was struggling hitting. At that point, I was still hitting. I was in a really big slump. Um, and I read this book, and it talked a lot about playing one pitch at a time and controlling what you can control. And at that point, I was just too immature in baseball to kind of grasp that and put it all into play. Um, and honestly, it wasn't until 2015, uh, I was in high A, and I was, uh, it was the first half of the year, and I, my numbers were terrible. I felt like I was throwing the ball well, but things just weren't kind of going my way. I, instead of giving up one run, I was giving up three or four in an inning, and my ERA and everything just looked really bad, and I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. And, um, my, I started throwing the ball well, and we went to Bakersfield, California for the last game of the first half. Uh, and my, my buddy threw the first five innings and scoreless. I came in in the sixth, and I ended up giving up f- five runs without getting an out. And I didn't give up an extra base hit. I didn't even give up a hard hit ball. I was just kind of getting dinked around, and some bad things happened. And I allowed it to, to blow up and not make the adjustment. And I went into the all-star break just kind of frustrated about that. And our mental scores, mental skills coordinator came in at the time. We, uh, his name's Andy McKay, who's actually the farm director with the Mariners now. Um, but he took me and a couple of my roommates out to uh, lunch one day. We were just kind of talking, and it was the first time that somebody had told me that I was good enough to pitch in the big leagues and that my stuff was good enough to pitch in the big leagues. And, that the only reason I wasn't having the success is that I wasn't being, I wasn't as consistent 
and I wasn't grading myself on the things that I needed to be grading myself on. I was looking at results, 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 ERA and hits and did I give up a run or this or that. I wasn't focused on the process of actually, you know, what I was able to control as a pitcher. He asked me a question, uh, what's the only thing you can control as a pitcher? And I said, throwing balls and strikes. And he said, well, you don't have any control over that because the umpire can call one pitch a ball and call one pitch a strike and it could be in the same exact location. So the only thing that you have control over is trying to throw the ball where you want to. Um, and that just resonated with me right away. Uh, and it just, honestly, it reshaped my whole thought process behind pitching. It reshaped my whole thought process on how I grade myself and how I um, go about evaluating myself throughout a year, throughout the year. Um, and honestly, that was kind of the turning point in my career because at that point in high A, I had, I think I might have had like a seven ERA after the first half. Um, and I went on the, the second half, I had a 2.5 ERA or somewhere around there for the second half which led me to get to double A in 2016. And, uh, you know, my numbers just got better each year, but it just completely reshaped how I, how I thought about myself and how I went about my daily process and my, um, you know, my each, each outing, my process after each outing. That's awesome. And uh, I must've made that discovery after I left Winthrop. I know I tried at some point to, we had some off season meetings, if you'll recall, where, well, uh, I think we just, if I'm not mistaken, we just, we picked a book that, that I probably picked and we had a handful of guys that were interested in the mental side of the thing of things. And, and, um, you know, we tried to make some progress there, but when, when I sort of heard that for the first time and like internalized that as a coach, that was one of those things that like, I really wish I, I knew as a player because I was one of those players that would just let things snowball, um, let results snowball and, once I figured that out, I feel like I was able to do a lot of good for a lot of players by by talking about those same sorts of things. Um, I think that those are for anybody to have success at a high level. I, I think that you almost need to have that one pitch at a time and control what you can control type of mentality. But until you're mature enough to hear it and make the adjustment, um, you can hear those words a hundred times and it's just it might not stick with you. Um, one of the things that people might not know about you, Matt, is that you were at one time a hitter before you were a pitcher. And uh, I know that you enjoy taking some at-bats in the minor leagues. You've got some pretty decent minor league hitting stats, if I'm not mistaken, right, even though you don't hit that often. Yeah, I have a 2017. Uh, I got majority of That was the first time that I got in a lot of at-bats. A lot of my coaches had seen me swing and knew that I had hit before and knew that I had some type of um, – feel up at the plate but I hadn't really had any consistent at bats to do anything with and that 2017 was the first time that I had some at bats and my manager uh, Jerry Weinstein at the time just he just kept giving me at bats he found ways to he's a very smart guy and the way he uses the the lineup and, and manipulates that throughout throughout the game he just found ways to, to give me at bats throughout the throughout the year and I had a great year hitting um, which I think I, I might have all of my hits throughout my entire career in that one season. But, uh, overall, it still looks pretty good. I was impressed. I, I don't know what made me look at your hitting line one day, but I was just kind of curious. Years, a couple years ago, I just kind of wanted to see how it's been going for you at the plate, and I uh, was pretty impressed with what you've done there. Um, <laughs> hopefully, if you make it to the big leagues, the National League still 
hopefully they're not DH only, so you get a chance to swing it from time to time. I would, I would love that. Yeah, I, it's a lot. It's a lot easier now. You know, before I, you know, we're talking about the pressure and everything, but before, whenever I was a hitter first, I was supposed to get a hit, and then now every time I go up there, depending if I'm supposed to bunt and stuff, there's pressure, and I need to get my job done. But you know, if I get to go up and just swing it, everyone's just kind of watching, like looking forward to watching me hit to see if anything happens because I'm not supposed to get a hit. So it takes all the pressure uh, out of it and just makes it kind of fun for me. So I definitely enjoy it. I look forward to it every time I get the opportunity. Along those lines about, about the pressure, at one point, I, so I continued to try to meet with teams in the future after I left Winter, but I tried to meet not every team, but but some of the teams that I coached after that, we met in the offseason and talked about um, different things, and I and I would have individual meetings with players that I could just see were struggling, and try to help them through the mental side of it because that's something I just I I, uh, I cared about, and I read a lot of books about that, and just I wanted to really understand it. I wanted to be able to help guys, and uh, you know, we I can remember specifically one conversation that I had with a player that I just talked about pressure, and I just asked him where does pressure exist. And he gave me several answers, and, and eventually I was like, the only place that pressure exists is in your mind because there, there's nothing in the, in the real world around you that is putting any pressure on you. The only place that pressure exists is in your mind, and it's just funny to hear something like that experience of you hitting and how much more free you feel as a player when you don't have any expectation when there's no expectation whatsoever and you don't necessarily have expectation for yourself in a way, but it's just, you're up, you're up there and just being totally free to do to just whatever happens happens. And it's a, it's amazing. The mental transition, if you can take that, uh, that if you can have that mentality and have that approach and have that, that freedom, just what that does for you at the plate. Have you experienced that? And if so, have you, I mean, you sort of said that, but have you taken that into other parts of your game as well, just as far as uh, putting, putting pressure on yourself or, or feeling pressure from around you that again, only, even if somebody is, I mean, hell, even if a manager comes up to you and basically says, Hey, if you don't perform, you're going to get sent down. Like, yeah, he says that, but, but you, you still have to choose to put that pressure on yourself, right? You still have to make that decision that you're going to take that comment and let that dictate how you're going to feel when you're on the mound the next time. So has that, has that side of hitting helped you in any other way to uh, just to sort of get a better idea of what it means to compete without that pressure? I think that, I think that the hitting thing came because of how much I was learning from pitching. I always, just growing up, I was, I loved hitting. I, that was what I always wanted to do. I went to college to hit, and I, I actually tried quitting it twice. Um, <laughs> but as soon as I stopped hitting, and even my first year, even if I would have stopped hitting, stopped hitting after my sophomore year of college, after taking that one year off, if I, I felt like if I would have went back and hit my senior year, I would have just been so much better just from what I was able to learn and watch people struggle with or succeed with whenever I was on the sideline. And I think just throughout my minor league career of just pitching and the struggles that I went through and that breakthrough that I had in 2015 was just a huge mental breakthrough for me that when I did get a chance to hit. And, yeah, I had no pressure because no one was expecting anything of me, but I had a completely different mindset going into it from the start, just because of all the things that I'd gone through from 
from pitching. So I think that I didn't necessarily, you know, put it, learn anything from that experience and, and put it into pitching, but everything that I learned from pitching, I think I was able to put into my hitting. Whereas if I was able, not that I could hit at that level, and not, not even close, I can't do that. But I know that if I was able to, like if I had a full season of at-bats, I'm not saying that I'd have great results, but I know that my process and each time going up to the plate hitting, I would be in a much better mind state and mind frame that I could get 100% out of what I had, whatever talent that is, I would be able to get closer to 100% out of it where, you know, looking back on my years of hitting at Winthrop, you know, I felt like I was a talented hitter and I had a lot of, um, you know, abilities, but my mindset and my everything, my confidence, everything that went into it every time I went it up to a plate, you know, I wasn't getting anywhere near 100% of my talent out because I was just hindering myself with the amount of pressure I was putting on and honestly just, just being young and immature and just not understanding everything that goes into the game. And uh, again, just this is cool that I can kind of give a little bit of background and insight. You know, Matt, when you got to Winthrop, you were you're a pretty intense guy, which I know you still are on the mound. It doesn't, you know, you don't sound like it in this podcast, but Matt's a very intense guy. He's a very intense competitor, which was always fun for me to coach. I loved coaching guys like that. Um, but in your case, it's been, I think this is the case, again, with a lot of young people, that intensity led to, like, one, one bad at bat would turn into a bad game from time to time. And it's not that you – I don't think you're an immature player um, – in a lot of respects, but I think in some in some cases you just you 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 had so much pride in what you did that any failure was very personal, and yeah. and it would and it would carry over to the rest of the game or like would lead you to you know go hit for several extra hours in the cage, which yeah. which a lot of those like that, I, I think that a player needs a lot of those things to be able to succeed. But I also think that when they're not harnessed, it's not going to help. It's going to hinder. Um, do you remember at what point? Do you remember at what point you went from being? I'm going to change the subject on you a little bit. You went from being a hitter, primarily to being a pitcher, and kind of how you dealt with that. Uh, talk about all these other things that you that you've sort of gotten over, uh, mentality-wise, or things you've had to deal with. Do you remember that making that transition at Winthrop to where you were primarily you were a hitter first to then being a a pitcher first? Yeah, it was that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because even so, my freshman year, I I played a lot. I I think I played in played in like 50 games, and I think I started like 45 of them. So, and I pitched 25 innings, so I still pitched. But I was just I was a third baseman or an infielder who, you know, when they needed me would get on the mound. I never practiced as a pitcher. I never put in that work. And going into my sophomore year. I did less, even less with the pitchers and more with the hitters. And I only played like 10 games, started 10 games and would pinch it um, a good bit. But I think I threw like 50 innings my sophomore year. And then I went from that. So I'd always done everything as a, as a hitter. And then going into my, I went to summer ball once where I made my decision to just be a pitcher. And I came back for my junior year. And luckily um, the pitching coach I had, Clint Chrysler, um, was just an awesome, awesome guy, but an awesome coach who helped me out a ton. But 
but I struggled just like on a daily basis of what am I supposed to do because I was used to, you know, as a hitter, and I always tell this to, to pitchers now, like young guys, if just like you said, if I if I was struggling with something or struggling with my swing or if I wanted, I loved hitting. So I'd just go hit for hours. I'd hit up the tee, I'd hit flips, I'd hit, you know, BP, I'd, anything. I would just hit and hit and hit and hit until I was satisfied and until I felt good and I'd leave and I'd do the same thing the next day. So I was just used to putting in all this time. And then as a pitcher, it's like you get off the mountain like two times a week and you throw every day, but you have 10 to 15 minutes every day to get your work in. And then you're just kind of, a lot of times you're standing around, you'll obviously do PFP works and you'll, uh, you know, you'll do a ton of other stuff, but it wasn't what I was used to doing. And I was just, not that I was bored. I just like, I just wanted to do more. And I struggled with that. I, during practices in the fall, I begged them to just let me hit fungos during batting practice because I could not <laughs> just stand out in the outfield and check and check uh, fly balls. So I would just sit there and hit fungos to all the infielders throughout the entire bag practice just so that I had something to do. And then my junior year, I started on Fridays. And then, so Fridays were no problem because I'd pitch and then I'd sit and watch the rest of the game. But I'd come in on Saturday and I'd get my lift in in the morning and my running. And then I would just be sitting there watching the game and I would be driving myself crazy. Like, I just wanted to do something. I just wanted to do something. So it was something I really had to... Uh, it took me a while to just get used to. Um, you know, it was probably until pro ball that I really got accustomed to just not not always having something to do or not not having the ability to to play in every game. And I guess maybe that's helped too, being in pro ball and being a reliever rather than a starter, is I'm mentally prepared to pitch in every single game. That. Unless I threw two days in a row and I know that I'm off that day, I go into the field thinking like I'm going to pitch today, and I mentally and physically prepare myself to do that. But it definitely took a long time to just deal with that transition of going from, okay, I'm, I'm, if I'm not in the starting lineup today, I'm going to get a pinch hit, so I'm ready to go, and I'm, I'm taking BP and taking ground balls and doing everything I need to do to okay, I had three yesterday, and I'm not drawing for another six days, so I'm just kind of going to sit around and watch the game, I guess. So it was it was very difficult for me. Probably not unlike what a lot of young coaches go through. It's uh, – <laughs> this is coincidentally a Winthrop story, but I remember at Winthrop at some point, uh, Coach Mack talked to me. It's probably after our, after my first year before you – now I'm trying to remember. I don't know if you were there for one or two years when I was there, but my, after my first year, were you there at Coach Hudak's last year? Yes, that was my okay. freshman year. Okay, so we spent the two, two years I was there. You were there both years. After the yeah. first year, Coach Mack talked to me and basically told me that I needed to separate myself more from the players. And it's not like I was, like, friends with the players necessarily. I mean, I had a good relationship with, with you and a lot of your teammates. But, like, I like to go in the outfield and shag during BP because I was an outfielder as a player, and I just like to be out there shagging. And I liked to, um, you know, when I was throwing BP, like, if, if it was you and I, I don't know if you and I ever had this situation, but if it was you and I throwing BP, or if I was just throwing BP to only you, I'm not going to let you sit there and, and swing, like, 45 minutes nonstop. So, like, I would give a hitter a round, and then we'd switch, and I'd make the hitter, like, flip me some just to kind of give him a break, but also because I like to hit. It was yeah. fun. And, um and Coach Mack talked to me after their first year and kind of told me that I needed to 
basically to separate myself more. Um, I, I guess he felt like maybe I, I was blurring the lines to some of the players or whatever it may be. But I also think part of it was that he, you know, thought that I was uh, had a chance to be a pretty good coach. And to do that, I needed to really change my own mindset. So I'm sure that what you went through is, is something a lot of people go through, whether they transition from being a player to coach or whether they transition from being a position player to pitcher. But it's not an easy thing to to go from doing a lot of stuff in baseball and like being very active to all of a sudden for whatever you could, because you're coaching or you're pitching to not doing a whole lot there. Um, I, I wanted to ask you that question, Matt, partly because I know there's a lot of people out there, players that at some point are asked to either change positions and that might be from infielder to outfielder or whatever, um, or from position player to pitcher that a lot of players that get frustrated with that and that have a really hard time with that and never fully make the mental transition. And if you don't make the mental transition, it's just not going to be successful. So I was kind of curious to see how you, um, how you got there. Like for you, did you have some bitterness because things didn't work out for you as a hitter, like you hoped they would, or was it, was it an okay transition in that regard because you were pretty good at the other thing? No, there's definitely a lot of bitterness, a lot. Um, you know, I loved, I loved hitting. Like, I can't stress that enough how much I enjoyed to just go. Like, even I could hit off the tee for over an hour, just hit off the tee, because I just, I just liked doing it. Um, and when I started not having success, and I think most of my failure came I, from the pressure I put on myself and all the, all the stuff that we've already talked about. But, uh, you know, when I wasn't having the success that I wanted and, um, and when I ended up making the decision to only pitch, I, I made it because one day in summer ball, I went to play summer ball and I was hitting and pitching a little bit. And, uh, I went to the field early one day and I'm hitting off the tee in the cages before bag practice or before anything. And I was just like, I just like hated it. I was like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I was just kind of sick of, of putting in all the work and not getting results and, um, you know, things weren't going the way that I wanted to. And, um, you know, I was just like, I think it's, I think it's time. Like I can't, I don't want to go about this and put in, I couldn't, I couldn't be half in. I was either a hundred percent in or a hundred percent out. I couldn't go about hitting, not putting in the work that I knew that I needed to do. And at that point mentally, I just couldn't put in the work anymore. I wasn't able to put in the work that I needed to, to have success. So it was Whenever I put the bat down, I was extremely bitter, and I stayed. The closest I got to swinging that junior year, like I didn't take batting practice once. I didn't hit a ball off the tee. The only swinging I did was hitting fungos, and I started playing golf. Um, cause at, at that point, I'd never golfed before because in my mind, I was like, I don't want to mess up my swing or who knows what I was thinking, but I didn't golf. And so I just started golfing and started uh, hitting fungo ground balls. And that was the most hitting I did, but I was definitely bitter, um, especially that first year. I think I got over it more my senior year as I started having more success pitching and started really enjoying that a lot more. Um, But, yeah, the the first part of that transition was really difficult for me. If you look back on it now, Matt, how did that experience – help you in the long run to become the player that you are right now? It's hard for me looking back because I know that looking back, if I didn't make, 
if I didn't make that decision to focus on my pitching 100%, I don't think I would have had the opportunity to play professionally. Um, but also, I know that I left a lot on the table as a hitter just because I, I did have the talent to hit, but I didn't have the mindset at that time to allow myself to do so. I was, you know, I struggled a lot with when it came to that. So it, it's frustrating to me looking back knowing that I didn't get everything out of myself as a hitter. But because I made that decision, I, I've gotten everything out of myself as a pitcher. Um, and I know that after being in professional baseball and seeing how good these players are and how talented they are, you know, at every single level in minor league baseball, I know that I wouldn't have been able to play at that high level as an infielder and as a hitter. I know that my only shot at doing it was as a pitcher, so I know it worked out the way that it was supposed to work out, but it is frustrating just to look back and know that I, I was my own worst enemy when it came to hitting, and I, and I didn't get the most out of it. But because of that, it's grown into you know, the career that I've, able, um, I've been able to have and all the experiences and people that I've met, so I know that it worked out exactly how it was supposed to. That's also going to help you be a pretty good coach someday. Hopefully it's a long way off when you're doing that permanently. I know you're doing it right now, and I don't know if that's something we want to talk about in the podcast, but you're doing a little bit of coaching right now. But those experiences help you tremendously when you get into coaching and make you a very relatable coach because you're going to be able to look guys in the eye and say, I've been there. You know, I've, I've done I've, – I've been to what you're going through right now. I've, I've experienced that frustration and, and, and be able to give players a little bit of a perspective – um, it's going to help a lot, I'm sure, at some point. Um, yeah, I feel like it already is. I, I, you know, I, I am enjoying the coaching part, and I actually had this conversation with a high school kid um, a week ago uh, about him focusing more on pitching rather than hitting. Uh, and I told him, I was like, look, I understand it's a really, really hard decision. I've made it, um, and, I, and I can't make the decision for you. I can tell you my experience, and I can tell you my opinion on – on your ceiling in terms of both of them, but, uh, you know, you have to make that decision on your own, but it's definitely allowed all of the, all of my experiences and everywhere that I've been and every part of, of the success and the failures and the frustration is, you know, it's made me be able to, I hope uh, that it continues the more, you know, when, when I'm completely done playing, um, but that I'm able to just give that, knowledge and those experiences to other people rather than them having to go through them themselves um you know and that's that's ultimately the end goal is you know even while i'm playing i i help out every single player or kid or anybody that i can um because i've been you know blessed to be able to play the game for a long time and i've learned a lot and uh, you know i love being able to especially when it comes to the mental part and like those that part of the game is is so untapped with so many people, uh, and they just don't understand how much uh, how much goes into it. So it's been fun being able to coach a little. This is the first time I've coached uh, a significant amount. I've been able to to see players be, be challenged with stuff, and then be able to talk to them, you know, more as adults, and just say like, "Hey, this is this is why this is happening. This is." You know, if you can't change your mindset or if you can't look at things a different way or, you know, whatever, um, you know, it's going to be tough for you. So it's been fun for me to be able to do that. I really think that the, the 
coaching experience might help you as a player as well, as much as, you know, playing helps you to be a coach. Um, this is off topic and nobody cares about this at all. But when I, when I stopped coaching and I moved back to Pennsylvania, I played in an adult league for a couple of years. And, um, like I, you're able to, when, when you're able to sort of take the, the stuff that your, your coaching knowledge and, and apply it to your own game, you just, um, I don't know, you almost feel like you have an advantage over people, uh, that you didn't have before. So it, maybe, maybe that'll happen to you as well. But I thought it was just, it was a cool, cause like when, I don't know. And also, I mean, there were all the, it happens both ways for sure, because as soon as I played again and I was 30 years old when I played in this adult league and I hadn't played for a long time, um, even though you, you know, you hit, even if you hit like jacking around with some of the other coaches, you haven't hit live, live pitching is much different as you know. Um, uh-huh. but anyway, but like when I, when I played, I thought like, as I was playing, I was like, this is going to help me if I ever get back into coaching again as well, because there's just some stuff you sort of forget. And sometimes you just forget how hard the game is. And, and one of the things that I forgot is how much takes toll in your body. Like I'd go play a game and like the next day wake up and be sore. like tell my wife, like I hardly did anything. And I feel like crap. I feel like I got beat up yesterday and yeah, like I barely I did anything. That, <laughs> that has always been a frustrating thing for me with some of some coaches that I've had throughout my, throughout my whole life. It's just how people talk about the game, how coaches talk about the game to young players and when you talk about something like it's easy, that frustrates me. Like when you, even if you're talking to an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old, whoever it is, when you're talking to them about doing something and you talk to them like, hey, this is easy and you need to be able to do this, like you forget how hard it really is to do all, whatever it is. It's hard to learn a new thing and it's hard. The game of baseball is extremely hard. So, um, you know, that I hope, I hope for myself that, you know, whenever my career is done and whether it's been 30 years or 50 years or whatever it is that I never forget how hard it is to play this game because that one fact I feel like just helps me to relate so much better to, to young players is that I never approach something with, with the thought of you need to be able to do this because because it should be easy for you. It's like I never, I always approach it as like it's a blank slate and you, yeah, like we need to learn something, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy and it doesn't mean that you're good or bad for not being able to do something, um, which is a difficult thing sometimes. Yeah, and, and the game is hard and it's fast, even no matter what level you're playing. So just to give you some, some things that like I kind of went through as when I played again, was like, okay, I'm in the outfield and, and I'm running through scenarios in my mind and I had plenty of time to do that. And I felt like, you know, throughout the couple, I played for two seasons and I threw the ball to the right bases and I threw the ball when I needed to, to like different bases. And when I needed to hit a cutoff guy, I hit a cutoff guy. And I felt like I was fine there. Then you get the batter's box and I, I'm sorry, I just, I have I, taught this stuff for how many years is for, for eight years as a college coach, like having, an, having the right approach pitch to pitch it's yeah. very difficult. It's really difficult. So, there, I mean, there were times when I'd watch a fastball and be like, son of a bitch, like, get back to, like, the yes, yes, yes mentality. And I would literally have to say that. I'd have to be in the batter's box saying yes, 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 to not look at a pitch that I should have swung at. And that happens sometimes. There are other times when, you know, I should have just been able to think a little bit more with the pitcher and and things like that. Or, like, 
you know, there was – I know there's, this is a stupid example, but there's one time in a playoff game when I was asked to bunt a guy over from second to third. It was, it was an important run late in the game, and, like, I was able to handle the bat. So, But I decided I was going to try to do, like, a half push bunt to try to get myself on as well. And I bunted it back to the pitcher, but I bunted it far enough to the first base side where the pitcher had to throw to first base. But at, at the end, I'm standing, on, on, I'm going back to the dugout, and like I did, I moved the guy over. But it's like, why would I have tried to do that? Yeah. I should have just put down. The, I, I could have scored a little bit late, but like I didn't have to try to get out of the box quickly. I should have just bunted and moved him over, and done the job. Because if I had bunted the ball about two feet more to the left, I probably would not have gotten the run over. And like I was being selfish because I wanted to get on base. So I don't know. Just it, it's. I think things like that just give you a different perspective. So, you know, get, being a coach gives you a different perspective if you go back to play, but then when you play again, it gives you a different perspective when you're coaching. And I think those, it's all it's all cool stuff and, like, it's, I don't know, fun to talk about afterward, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. You learn on, you learn a lot from it, and it is. It's just, it's just hard. It's just even, even whenever I have gotten the chance to hit and I go up with no – no thought, no whatever, and now I'm going up hitting with the, a thought process of a pitcher of understanding, like, what people are going to do, and I still, sometimes I get up there and I'll I'll watch a pitch go by or I'll swing at something, and I'm like, what, why are you, like, why do you do that? When you know you shouldn't be doing that, but it's just, like you said, it just happens quick, and, and you know, it's just, it's a difficult, every part of it, it's just a very difficult game. And I think as a coach, you've got to be, to me, good coaches are sympathetic to that, and like you said, they don't take anything for granted and don't take anything in this game to be easy to uh, to execute in the game. Matt, I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago just about helping your teammates, especially you know younger teammates, was something you like to do. And I want to go back to a time when uh, you and I were actually sitting for breakfast one of the times you were in Altoona, and you told me about one of the hitters that was on your team who – the year before you guys played together and he was a phenomenal hitter. I'm not sure who this is. I'm not sure if he's in the big leagues now or not, but he was a really, really good hitter. But the year you and I were talking, he was struggling um, for a time. And, and basically you sat down with him and showed him highlights of himself from the year before. And you told me that that sort of like flipped the switch for him. Can you kind of talk to people that are listening to this about that and about kind of why you did that and, and what it meant for that player and, and just, um, Maybe maybe what if you use that sort of same philosophy for yourself at some point? Just I'm sort of curious about that whole thing. I think it's such an awesome story, and I'd love for you to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, so I actually remember that very vividly. It's Ramel Tapia. He is in the big leagues. He has been for a few years, up and down, but extremely talented player. Just an like an incredible hitter. Just an incredible hitter. Super fun to watch. And I played with him in 2014 2000, and 2015 throughout his entire career coming up. He had always hit over 300. Um, just a, a great, great player, super consistent player that plays with a ton of confidence, a ton of swag, um, always, 100% of the time. And we were in, we we're playing in New Hampshire against the Blue Jays double A team. And he, he, like, never struck out. Like, he did not strike out a lot. His two-strike approach was incredible. He would foul pitches off. He would just – he was really, really fast. He's a really fast left-handed bat. Um, he would find a way to just put a ball in place somewhere and beat it out or just fell off of bad, bad pitches until he got a good one. Uh, uh, I 
and he was just struggling a little bit. He was hitting under under 300 for it had to be the first time in his life, um, and you could see how frustrated he was. And everyone kind of talks about the the jump from high A to double A being like the big jump, where if like if you can do it in double A, you can do it in the big leagues. And I think he was putting this pressure on himself to to be who he always had been, and he was struggling a little bit. And we just played a game. And I think I think he's over four, and he struck out like three times. And at that point, he he, he could speak English, but not the best English. And uh, I saw him at his locker after the game, and he's obviously super frustrated. He's a very intense player, very competitive. Um, and I said something to him. I was like, I, was, I asked him what was wrong. I kind of I was trying to set him up a little bit, and he got mad at me, like asked me why why I would say that. He's like, what what do you think is wrong? I just struck out three times. And I went over. I was like, "Who cares? It's one game." He's like, "Well, I was over yesterday too with with the strikeout, and I was over the day before that." And I was just kind of I, I went into it already knowing what I was trying to get at. Um, so I was like, "Who cares?" And he's like, "What do you mean? Who cares? This is like my career. This is my life." I was like, "It's just a couple games." Um, and he's like, "Yeah, but but it keeps happening in my batting hours. This and that." And I was like, uh, with this guy now, I think I, we were like eating and showering, whatever. And I was like, hey, give me a second. I'll be back in like five minutes. And I was just like, I went to my locker and I Googled him. I found his highlight video, which is just probably like 10 minutes of him just absolutely destroying balls, like into the gaps and running and just destroying balls, destroying balls. I was like, come here and just, like, watch this. And he's, like, kind of watching for a couple minutes. He's like, why am I watching? Like, what What are you doing? And I was like, this is who, whenever I talk about you or whenever I think about you, this is who I see. I was like, "Where? what did you hit when you were in rookie ball? And he's, it was over 300. What did you hit when you were in low A, over 300? What did you hit when you were in double A, over, or you were in high A, over 300? What would you hit when you were in the fall league, over 300? What about spring training, over 300? Like, he always hit. And I was like, this is who you are. You always hit. But right now, you're looking at it from such a closed point of view, you're, and you're questioning who you are. I was like, but this is who you are. This is who I know you are. This is who everybody knows that you are. You're just not that guy this past three days or whatever it was. I was like, you just have to remember, like, this is who you are. So watch this. I was like, watch this whole thing. And when you go home tonight, watch it over again. When you wake up tomorrow, watch it over again. And just believe truly in your heart that this is who you are that this is you are a major league hitter you hit at a very high level and that even if you go even if you strike out three times in a game when you come up for your fourth to battle you come up the next day like you're going to get a hit because he always he always walked up to the plate with that that confidence and the swagger that he was going to get a hit no matter what and he had lost it and he just i kind of saw it kind of click in his head a little bit what I was trying to say and uh, I can't say if he went home and watched it I can't say if he um, if uh, that was what turned it around or if he watched it the next morning but he showed up the next day he let off he was hitting he hit always let off for us he hit uh, he smoked the line drive in the left center uh, a hustle double dove into second base and I'm down the left field line in the bullpen and he just gets up like fired up and points down at me so it was a cool it was a cool thing for me but it was I think he ended up going like three for four that day. And, you know, he ended up hitting over 300 that year. He ended up, I think he played in the big leagues that year. Um, but it happens to everyone where at some point you doubt 
your identity or you doubt what if you're good enough or if you doubt, um, you know, your ability really. And you just have to get back to that underlying belief of like, I am good enough. This is who I am just because I had, you know, a bad game or a bad at bat or a bad outing or a bad week or a bad month or a bad half. It doesn't change who I am as a pitcher or who I am as a hitter. If I undoubtedly believe of who I am, I can go up to the plate every single time or go out on the mound every single time with that, with that belief and that thought process that I'm going to have better results throughout the course of a season because I'm not going to allow myself to go down the dumps just because I'm in an 0 for 10 slump or, you know, when I'm 10 for 10, I'm not going to be, like forget what makes me who I am. I'm going to stay that even kill player, whatever it is. Um, and I'm going to get the most out of myself every single time. What an awesome story. And I'm sure that there are a million people who could listen to that story and relate either that they've been through that themselves or they've seen other players that have gone through that. And like, that's something as a coach, you never want to see a player that begins to doubt himself because as yeah. soon as the player doubts himself, unless he gets it back, like it, it's over until he gets it back. Yep. And, um, and, and what a change that can be. I can tell you a similar story about a player at Moorhead state. Um, I was not there his senior year, but in fact, this might've been after you and I talked actually. So you might've given me this idea. So I'm have to credit you here, but, but basically he was having, uh, he was a senior and he thought he had a chance to be a senior sign. He had really good numbers, freshman, sophomore, junior, year, but wasn't necessarily looked at as a pro prospect. He could really run, he played a good center field, um, you know, but but not probably the extra base hits that you want or whatever. Not like an elite elite runner, but probably a six seven six six runner maybe, but not like your six five six four type of guy that you see a lot in, in pro ball and center field. But anyway, he was having a a really difficult start to his senior year. So after like the first three weekends or four weekends or whatever, he's hitting like a buck eighty. And, uh, and I talked to him and kind of asked him what was going on, and, and he expressed his frustration. He and I had a good relationship, and I had kept in touch with him since I left Moorhead uh, a couple years prior. And and basically I told him, Matt, what you told um, – how do you pronounce his first name? Ray Mel. <laughs> Ray Mel. You could have picked a guy with an easier name to pronounce. I told <clears throat> this player, similar to what, uh, what you said to Tapia, I just said, you know, what does the back of your baseball card look like from the previous three seasons? And if you had a chance to play 10 more seasons of college baseball, what would the back of your baseball card look like? And just because you've had 40 at bats right now where you're, you're hitting like crap doesn't mean that doesn't define you at all. Like you're still the person that you were the previous three years with like a 330 something career batting average in college. That's you. This isn't you. That's you, and when you, you need to believe in your believe that before this is going to turn around. We had a much longer conversation than that, but that was sort of the gist of it. And as soon as we had that conversation, and I brought some other things to his attention, um, he turned around, and ended up having a great senior year. He did not get signed, uh, but he I think he played with a lot less pressure on himself and a lot less uh, focus on the on day to day at bat to at bat type of thing. And and we talked about some other things as well that I think helped him out. But I, again, I think there are a million people out there that have a similar story to that or know someone who's got a similar story and without that belief the personal belief when you start doubting that's when you're gonna have a really hard time coming back from that so pretty good story there absolutely yeah it's, it's hard especially you know the, the, the seniors going into that year like putting the pressure on to have a good year to try to get drafted or you know pro guy who it's supposed to be his year to make it to the big leagues and 
they put all that pressure to have the best year of their career and it's just it's a difficult thing and it can it can change your mindset really quickly and prove to be very difficult i want to talk about something else that you told me at one of those breakfasts that i had with you um which i thought was interesting i'm not sure if, if this is something that everyone does or something that's that the rockies kind of uh, encourage you to do, or if you did it on your own, but you told me, or if you, even if you still do it, but you told me at that time that you kept a notebook on players, hitters that you faced, and you would go back and sort of review that as you went into different series with, with the guys that you had faced in the past. Is that still something you do matter? Would you mind kind of talking about that? Just how you got into that, the things you wrote down and just sort of share what that was all about? Yeah. So, it wasn't. It didn't necessarily start as that, as as keeping notes on hitters. It started. Um, it started in 2015 after that conversation with with my mental skills. Of, I'd go back after every outing, and I would I'd finish an outing, and if I had video, which now I do every time, I'd go back and I'd watch my video, and I would just grade myself on execution if I threw the ball, if I threw the pitch where I wanted to throw it. And I would grade myself on that, but obviously, as I was doing, as I was rewatching, I could look, I could see, because when you're pitching, you obviously you see the hitter and you're trying to read swings, but it's it's difficult when you're in it to kind of see exactly what they're trying to do. But when you look at it afterwards, you can kind of see more of what they're trying to do and get a better idea of that. And so, as I would be keeping my notes on myself and grading myself, I started to just keep, I put the instead of it just being a blank. Um, like hit bad, I put the, the hitter's name and uh, like what he did against me. Any any notes that I saw, what he was trying to do, what he uh, what he put good swings on, what he didn't put good swings on, whatever it was that stood out to me, and I'll just kind of keep that because you know. And it, it started off in 2016 in in the Eastern League, and I happened to play in that league for two more years after that. So it paid off with some of the players that I would see more often. Um, than others, but we always would go over, at that time the scouting reports, reports weren't great, but we'd always go over scouting reports before um, the series anyways, but then I could go back and look at my notes on okay, this is how I pitched this guy, and this is what happened, and um, what he struggled with, and how I think I can attack him, and I could kind of have a personal scouting report rather than, than just what the whatever the book said about them. And now scouting reports are, you know, even this year compared to last year are so much more in depth and, and you, there's so much more information out there. It's almost too much at some, at sometimes, um, you know, if, I, if I'm facing as a reliever, it's different. As a starter, you need way more notes on hitters because you're going to see them multiple two, three times in a, in a game, maybe even four, where you're going to have to pitch them differently from a bat to a bat. As a reliever, I don't have to do that as much because I'm probably going to face that guy one time in a game. Um, I might face him a couple times in a series, uh, but I'll face him a few times throughout the year. But it's just different. They, they, the approach is, is different from a reliever to a starter, but it's always good to have that, that background of, okay, the last time I faced him, you know, I was trying to attack here. Maybe that isn't what really worked on this guy. Maybe his, maybe he has a hole somewhere else. What is he trying to do? So just having those notes that I've kept, and most of them are on my phone now, that I can go back. It's like, okay, we're facing this lineup, and I faced this guy back in 2016 where he did this. 
you know, what is he doing now? I can kind of watch his swings throughout the game and see if his approach is different or whatever. But it just gives me more knowledge whenever I go out to to face him because I'm, I'm always going to attack with my strengths and what I believe, um, you know, my best pitches are in whatever locations those are. But if I can attack, if I can use my strengths to attack someone's weaknesses, then it, it makes my job a lot easier. I was going to ask about the scouting reports a little bit, so I'm glad you brought that up. I'm I'm curious if it gets to a point with 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 you and, and other guys, hitters and pitchers, when there becomes like too much information available to to where you're like on information overload. Um, if you can just have have so much information about a, about your opposition that you sort of get out of away from your own strengths. I know as a college coach, you know you'd have a scouting report on a guy and and you know, there were a lot of times when a scouting report was just flat out wrong or a guy had a bad weekend and that was the scouting report that was floating around. And obviously yours is better. You have video every all the time from guys. And even now in college, I, I believe there's a video available from like every game that's played and everybody can watch video on anything. And I sometimes just wonder if that is too much, if almost sometimes you're better off just going out and playing the game and let the pitcher work on his strengths. Um, obviously, if a, if, if, um, if a, if a hitter has a certain strength and you have a second option, like you probably want to go with the second option. If, you know, just say, for example, you're, um, you know, as a right-handed hitter, your changeup is your best pitch and you're facing a right-handed hitter who likes right-handed changeups or a left-handed hitter who likes right-handed changeups or whatever it is, you obviously might want to go with something different if, just if, if that's his number one strength. But is there a time when you get too much information and sometimes you just kind of need to go back to, I'm just going to pitch to my strengths and whatever happens, happens. I'm going to throw my best stuff, try to put it in the best spot. And if, if he beats me, he beats me. If I beat him, I beat him. Do you think there's a time now where there's just, there's so much info that you need, you need to, and, you, and do your teammates feel the same way that sometimes you just kind of need to ignore all the noise and just sort of do your thing? I think that a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I agree. I think that it definitely it depends on the player. There's some, job of sifting through it and knowing what they need and and still going out there and playing their game but there's some guys that they're like oh my gosh now I have all this information and I'm gonna what is what does this guy struggle with and what is what does this guy like to do and this and that and they died so much into that that they completely abandon who they are as a hitter or who they are as a pitcher and it doesn't it just doesn't work I think that it's a that part of it is a growing process for every single player hitter and pitcher of they have to learn what is right for them, what amount of scouting report is right for them. Um, but at the end of the day, from, from a pitcher's point of view, I'm 100% going to go with my strengths over attacking someone else's weaknesses on 100 times out of 100. You know, even if even if I'm in a count where, you know, my change is my best pitch and I throw it in two strike counts to left-handed hitters like the such a such a high percentage that I know and the older the more I face guys and the older guys that I face especially in AAA when they really use the scouting reports you can tell in the bat what if someone's sitting on a pitch or someone's sitting in a location or, or whatever it is but I'm not going to shy if I think it's the pitch if I, if I know that it's my best pitch I'm not going to shy away from throwing it one because as a hitter I remember even when someone 
we had the signs at second base and I knew a slider was coming. You know, I saw that slider and I'm like, yep, I'm right, but I would still chase it because I'm like, oh, I'm right, but swing, and I would still swing at it and chase it. So I think that if a hitter is guessing a certain pitch, if it's well located, they're more likely to chase that pitch because they get what they're waiting for. So I kind of like to use that to my advantage. So it's not necessarily going to change what I'm going to throw, but it might. You know, if I, if I want to throw a 2-0 changeup and this guy knows that I throw a lot of 2-0 changeups and I think he's sitting on it, it's not going to mean I'm not. There's going to be times that I don't throw it, but that doesn't mean I'm always going to shy away from throwing it. I'm just going to make sure that I, my focus is on executing that pitch in a, in a specific location, not just, okay, sometimes I know that I have this guy with a 2-0 changeup. I can just throw it middle-middle and let that take care of itself. But on other guys, it's like, no, I need to treat this like a a one-two changeup where I need to throw this at the bottom of the zone or below or just off or whatever it is, but I can I still have the belief to get my to get the outcome that I want. Hitting is still hard whether they know what's coming or not. Uh, you know they still have to put a good swing on a hit, and it does make it a lot easier. But I feel like I'm able to use that to my advantage from time to time too. But it definitely just depends on the player. But everyone has to learn what is right for them because I can look at our scouting report and see the last 10 games for somebody and they've swung at 100 they, they've swung in, they've swung at pitches fastballs at the top of the zone chased out of the zone you know over 60% and they've swung and missed at those pitches um, 80% and it's like okay well we should definitely attack this person with fastballs up but if fastball up isn't my and it isn't and it's not my number one pitch it's not a pitch that I get a ton of great results on unless I use it appropriately I can't just go out there and throw this guy high fastballs knowing that that's not my best pitch just because someone else had success with that doesn't mean that I'm going to have success with that so it's it's a learning process and it's a maturity thing of just knowing like you can take all the information you want but you have to you have to be you what makes each person have success is what makes them unique and you don't want to change yourself and take the things away that make you unique and allow you to have success just to play to some some scan report that says well this guy chases breaking balls 60 percent of the time in this location so let's try throwing it but if your breaking ball is not great that day and you can't locate it then it's just a wasted pitch you still have to be able to um, adjust and adapt and, and make the pitches when you need to make them. Along those lines, Matt, how have you progressed as a pitcher from when you first got drafted until now? And I'm kind of thinking specifically, like, have your strengths and weaknesses changed? Have you added and subtracted pitches? Have you, like, changed grips and all of a sudden this one pitch really took off? I'm just kind of curious as to how your arsenal has uh, has changed and progressed from when you first got drafted until right now? Yeah, it definitely has changed. Because when I first got drafted, um, I was four-seam, two-seam, uh, curveball changeup. And curveball was good, but changeup was always my best pitch. But my two-seam and my changeup were my two best pitches, so they are always running to my arm side. And I typically had a ton of success against left-handed hitters because I could throw um, good two-seams and get a lot of ground balls, and I get a a lot of swings and misses on changeups, and I really was able to just use those two pitches through, you know, from 2013, 2014, and some of 2015 to have success 
against left-handed right-handed hitters because guys coming from college to pro ball go from metal to wood. So even right-handed batters really didn't like a hard, like a good two-seam coming in on their hands. Like it wasn't a pitch that was getting hit a lot. And it was difficult for lefties to, they didn't have great feel for the zone. And I could use that in my changeup and kind of keep them off balance and keep them guessing. So I was able to have a lot of success there. But I started to see that the more advanced left-handed hitters and even right-handed hitters would just start, they completely eliminate the my glove side part of the plate, inside pitch to a lefty or an outside pitch to a righty. Um, and I remember specifically I gave up a home run and I went back and watched it. It was on a, a fastball, a good two-seam down and away, like on the black, at the knees, couldn't have located it any better. And the left-handed batter just, he like strode almost across the plate and just dipped his shoulder in and just lifted the ball and drove it to left field and hit it out. And I'm like, dang, that kind of that kind of sucks because I threw that where I wanted to, and he was able to do it. And I realized that he was only able to do it because I wasn't, I couldn't establish or throw anything consistently onto that inside part of the plate to a lefty or something away that wasn't going to run back over the middle because even my good four-seam fastballs would have a little bit of run back um, to the middle. So if it wasn't perfectly located, I was still going to get some plate um, and run more in the barrel. So I'd always wanted to try to throw a cutter um, for a long time. I'd always wanted to throw it. I wanted to be able to sink the ball and cut the ball and just kind of go back and forth. So I started messing with cutter grips with one of my buddies in the outfield and just kept messing with it and messing with it and messing with it until I threw it in a bullpen one day and my coach was like, it's pretty good. Um, so I just started throwing it like a tiny bit. If I, I throw it like oh oh, um, just to throw it and see what happened. And I, then I would only throw it down and away to righties. Um, and then once I got comfortable with that, I started throwing it up and into lefties. And now that's like my my cutter's like my number one used pitch. It's I use it more than my fastball, um, but it allows me to you know go up and into lefties and then use my change up to go down the way and I can run a, a two-seam fastball down away, but I can get to more quadrants of, of the strike zone and I can attack hitters different ways because of that pitch, but it took me kind of failing a little bit with what I'd been doing for so long to say, like, okay, it's prob- I need something. It's, it's difficult for me to consistently get good fastballs over there. Uh, and my two-seam got better results than my four-seam, and it was hard for me to get a two-seam on that side of the plate consistently. So I needed something else, and, and once I kind of used that, uh, started throwing that more and more, my career kind of took off a little bit, and my success went. Uh, I had a lot more success because I was able to do a lot of different things to, to hitters, and coming out of the bullpen being a cutter change-up guy is not, you don't really see too many of those. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool stuff. Matt, one of the last things I want to ask you before I, I wrap this up is um, you, you've had a handful of managers in the minor leagues who have meant a lot to you and, and some good names, some guys that have done some things. Uh, are there any managers in particular that that you that have had a great deal of, uh, of impact on you and your career that, that you'd like to, to talk about a little bit and just kind of tell how much, um, just to give people an idea of how much a manager in the minor leagues can impact you because I think sometimes those guys get overlooked. Obviously you don't hear their names a lot when guys get to the big leagues, but I think that there are a lot of managers who throughout the minor leagues are really 
um, very prominent in, in a certain guy making some adjustments, whether it's physical or mental or, or whatever. I think there are a lot of managers in the minor leagues that don't get enough credit when a guy gets to the big leagues of, you know, this is this is this guy was very instrumental in why he got here in the first place. Is there anybody for you um, in your career that, that sort of had that impact for you from the time that you've spent together in the minor leagues, whether it's a manager or just a pitching coach or whomever it may be? You know what? Just in terms of I've had I've had so many that have helped me along the way and, and played such a large part in the success that I've been able to have. Um, but when and when you're talking about managers and just somebody who's made an impact on me not only as a player but as a person, I just have to go with Warren Schaefer, who uh, I talked about a little bit before. I had him as my Double A manager in 2018. Um, he was the hitting coach on my. Uh, on my very first short season team in 2013 after I got drafted, I knew him going in because he's from Pittsburgh. So we kind of already had that bond and that relationship whenever I got there. And his first year coaching uh, was he had just, just not playing. He had been a longtime player with the Rockies. So he had, he had a different approach to his coaching just because he was younger in terms of a coach and he related more to, to the players because he had just done it. Um, so I loved him just as it, I had, he was a hitting coach, but I was, I was a pitcher, so I didn't get him a lot, but just loved being around him. And then I got him a, as a manager in 2018, and I didn't, I didn't want, obviously that was my third year going back to double A, and I didn't want to go there. And I can remember specifically the day going into the locker room in spring training and seeing the, the rosters posted and seeing myself going back to double A, and I was just... I was so angry, and I had so much emotion going through my body. Um, and he was, I literally walked out of the locker room, and he was right there waiting for me. And he was like, hey, let's go talk. Um, and he just let me vent and say what I needed to say. And then he was like, listen, I, you know, I completely understand. I know, I know how you feel. I, I understand it. I, I don't want this for you. And, you know, I want, always want what's best for you, but this is how it is. Um, he said, listen, you're going to come to double A and you're going to be my guy. You're going to be my closer. You're going to be the leader in the bullpen, the leader in the locker room. Um, and, and it's, it's your role and, uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity and, and I just want you to kind of take it and run with it. Um, and he would just was so upfront and honest with me and allowed me to, I think a lot of times as a player to a coach, you're afraid to express your feelings to how they're going to come across. But he just was like, hey, man, say whatever you need to say um, and treated me like an adult and, and like a friend. And it just meant so much for me. And at that point, if, if he wasn't there, I don't know what my reaction would have been when I saw that roster. And I don't know what my performance would have been going into the season, not having, not knowing that I had the the manager of the team knowing that he had my back a hundred percent that he would fight for me to to move up he would fight for me to keep my role he would fight for me for anything um and when things were bad i could go in and talk to him when things were good he, i could go in and talk to him um you know he played such a huge huge part in um in my journey and he actually would have been the triple a manager in um for the rockies in 2020 this past season and uh he was part of the reason why i signed back with the rockies last year is because i knew that um 
know, if I went to AAA, I would have somebody who would fight for me, who I could relate to, who I could talk to, who would help me in any way that he could. And knowing that I had that behind me made my me going out and just performing made it so much easier because I didn't have to worry about the other stuff. So, and I've expressed it to him before. I hope that I've never left that unsaid of how much I appreciate how much he's done for me and everything that he's put out there for me. But having somebody, a coach who loves his players and cares about his players like that is just, it makes a ton of difference. This is awesome. It's been, been really great, Matt. I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. But uh, this has been a, an awesome conversation. And I will throw in before we wrap it up that you talk about Warren Schaefer being a Pittsburgh guy. And even though I'm going to put this out there for everybody, even though Matt Pierpont's minor league bio says he's from, I think it says Winter Haven, Florida, if I'm not mistaken, Matt is a Pittsburgh guy. And I just want everybody to know that. It's really important for me <laughs> being a Western Pennsylvania type of guy. Matt is from Pittsburgh no matter what his bio says. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> this has been awesome. This is Matt Pierpont, everybody. He's. Uh, a minor league pitcher, been in the Rockies organization for seven years, and we'll see where he ends up in 2021. Uh, he's currently a free agent, but Matt, a very mature guy. That every time I talk to you, you're you're more and more mature, more level-headed, and clearly adaptive to what's happening around you, and just somebody that's got a great head on your shoulders. And I know you're working now. We talked off the podcast about things you're doing right now to to take a jump and to take your game to the next level and, and just to be the best you can be. And, and I'm excited to see what happens again for you. And I'm, I'm excited for you to get back on a field, you know, competing in a, in a professional atmosphere uh, this coming season in 2021. So Matt, I appreciate all the time. Man. It was really great catching up with you. And I want to wish you and your family all the best going forward. I appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. And I, I really enjoyed it. It's always great catching up and, uh, you know, every time it's always, always great conversation. You know, I appreciate, um, you know, our friendship and I appreciate you as a coach, but definitely the older I get more as a, um, as a friend and, and the, the time that you've put in and invested in me, it, it doesn't go unnoticed. And I want you to know that I really do appreciate it. I appreciate that, man. It's always great to hear that from a former player, Matt Pierpont, everybody, Matt, best of luck to you this coming season. Thanks very much.